You've scanned the headlines, read the articles, and liked the posts. Now listen to the experts themselves in the Future of Work podcast, presented by allwork.space. Are you ready? Welcome to the Future of Work podcast by allwork.space. My name is Joe Mernier, and today I'm really happy to be joined by someone who I'm sure many of you will have seen and heard at workplace conferences around the UK and Europe, the US, and indeed many other locations around the world. My guest today is Anthony Slumbers. Anthony has been a software development and technology strategist in commercial real estate since 1995. Now he consults and works with real estate boards on transformation, technology, and innovation. A well-known speaker in property, he's a globally recognized expert on prop tech and space as a service. And today he's going to chat with us about all things technology, commercial real estate, and the future of work. So welcome, Anthony, and thank you so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure to be here. Okay, well, let's dive straight in. Um, First of all, Anthony, I'd love to hear about your career journey. So could you tell us a little bit about how you first became interested in real estate and technology and how you developed a career in prop tech? Okay, well, the, the, the short version, because you might have guessed if you, if you say you start, started something in 1995, this could go on for rather, rather a long time. I started in, actually, in 1995, I actually set up what was then probably the first commercial property website in, in, the, in the UK. And for many years, um, I ran what was effectively like a web, a web agency. So we, we did websites and what were then known as intranets for many different many different companies, lots of lots of different agents and that sort of thing. In 2001, I actually set up a joint venture with um, Broadgate Estates, which was the uh, property management arm of British Land, which at the time was the largest uh, real estate company in the, in the UK, um, to develop a product called, which we called Vicinity. And the idea of Vicinity, hence the name, was the space, the space around us. And the idea was that in, a, in an office building, you needed to know everything in the space around you. And so the idea was to develop a, a suite of, first off a suite of property management tools for helping in the running running of office buildings, but then also a whole, what people really call now tenant engagement platforms to inform people about information about their own building, but also everything that was going on within the area, within the space around us. So I did that for a while and it was one of the, it was one of those deals where they could buy me out after a certain number of years, which they did, which was very nice. Scooting on to 2013, I started thinking, oh, it's interesting how everything's turning, turning around again. So if you go back to sort of the, the 2000s, um, there was like that was if you like not not the birth of the internet, but it was really the sort of birth of the web, and it was the first big dot com bubble. Mm-hmm. I started writing about um, space as a service all, all those years ago, six, six years ago, and the idea of space as a service actually f- came out of the work we'd done at v- vicinity with the tenant engagement stuff. The the idea of this building has to this space has to serve me. You know what do I what what do I need? When do I need it? And how's the building going to going to help me. And to cut a long story short, I started doing more and more writing on that. And then I started doing sort of um, some ad hoc uh, speaking. And then essentially that has, that has really snowballed. Um, history has come towards me, it, it, if you like, because Space as a Service has turned, out, turned from being something that no one ever heard about to really obviously a big thing. Um, and now I 
pretty much split my time between um, talking, luckily enough, all, all over the place and in interesting places, meeting interesting people and consulting, but more, more advisory work. I do a lot of work with property management companies, um, landlords, and increasingly more with institutions, um, looking at what is the impact on technology, on fundamentally the nature of demand in the market, and therefore what sort of what sort of real estate should we be owning, investing in over the next five, 10 years? Gosh, well, that's quite a fascinating career. <laughs> and there's still plenty more to come, I'm sure. Um, so um, what's your inspiration? What makes you tick? What motivates you to do what you do? Um, <laughs> I, I, I actually have it in, in, in my, my, my Twitter Twitter header and it says hashtag curious. I'm, ah. I've always always been incredibly curious and I like curious people. Um, I, but I, I have a strange background because despite running a software company for 20 odd years, I actually have a history and history of art degree which makes me one of those sort of weird, weird oddities of, um, you know, the artists and the artists and the scientists. But I'm very interested in how technology changes the work people are going to be doing and therefore the type of spaces and skills and motivations and incentives and attitudes that they're going to need to, to thrive in the future. So I'm sort of on the side of... Um, a, on the side of the the human, but you really do have to understand this tech stuff as well because that, that's the driver of a lot of change. Yes, it's pretty important nowadays, isn't it? Um, and you mentioned before that you worked in the intranet. Uh, obviously, times have moved on a little bit since then. Um, and you also discussed space as a service. Now, that's quite a, a common term nowadays, but um, and, and I should think anyone who's ever used an office for one reason or another can appreciate that technology is so important to enable the building um, and its occupants to have a more comfortable and productive experience. Um, but the term itself, space as a service, um, it's a little ambiguous to some. So in layman's terms, can you give us an overview of space as a service um, and what it means? Space as a service actually has two meanings. It, mm -hmm. initi it initially came out of... Um, Software as a service, that sort of mindset. Because I'd been worked in a, a tech company, software as a service became a really big thing early early two thousands, and particularly when you got the, the rise of Amazon Web Services and 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 these sorts of things. So suddenly, this idea that you don't have to you don't have to buy all your own kit and run all your own kit and set up all your own kit. You can just stick your credit card in and. Uncle Uncle Jeff will um, give you <laughs> access to all, all the toys you could possibly imagine. It's a really big thing. Having something available as a service suddenly became to think, well, yeah, well, this is obviously happening all over the place because you started getting as a service pop up in other area, other areas. So you have like Netflix, well, that's that's mu movies as a service. Spotify, but well, that's music as a service. Uh, Uber, that's cars as a service, et cetera, et cetera. And you start thinking, well, because, because all the information, all our information is in the cloud and we've got a 1980s, 35 million pound supercomputer in our pocket, that gives us incredible capabilities mm -hmm. and essentially just has enabled this whole as a service world to develop. Why is real estate ever going to be 
any any different any different to this. So there's one side of um, space as a service, which is all about procuring space on as a as a service on a short time basis, so a day or a month or a week or whatever. But mm-hmm. I started thinking of it as a much wider wider um, term because I really see it in terms of space that provides the services we need as and when we need them, regardless of how you procure them. So in my mind, space as a service has gone from something which would be a niche, albeit quite a big niche, to actually something that's just going to be the defining characteristic of the of the workplace over the next 20 years or so. But so much of that has got to do with the fact that the way the way we work has has changed so much. You have a you have a laptop, you have a, a, a phone, you have all your information in your cloud. You've got Wi-Fi everywhere now, and you just do what you want where, wherever you want. And that completely changes the nature of how space needs to space needs to be designed. But it also there's a, there's this, there's this huge paradox going on. Despite there being a world of exponential technology we are actually going to need to become better humans. And hum- human skills are actually being made more important by technology rather than less. There was a sort of feeling that, you know, technologists just say, take, take, over, take over everything um, and, and that, that would be the end, the, the end of that. But the reality is the machines are good at what machines are. And fortunately, machines aren't good at what humans are good at. But all the skills that... All the things that machines are good at are things that are structured, repeatable, predictable. And McKinsey wrote this thing a couple of, a couple of years ago, about 49% about all, of all the tasks that people have paid for across the world could, could be uh, automated by adopting currently demonstrated technology. So not technology of the future, currently demonstrated technology. But it's actually not jobs that are going to change. It's the tasks within a, within a job. So that 49% that McKinsey are talking about are individual tasks within they're things people do as part of their jobs. And when you start looking at them, you realize that they, they are all the structured, repeatable, predictable tasks people do. And that's what machines are good at. Well, what do we humans do? Well, Picasso, this is where my art background come, comes in, had a, had a really, really good uh, phrase where he, he said, computers are useless. They can only give you answers. And that is really where we are today that we have these incredible incredibly capable machines but they can just give us answers but they don't they can't ask questions it's for us humans to ask the questions so the human work so human work is design imagination empathy intuition abstract and critical thinking social intelligence judgment empathy and all that sort of stuff that is what we have got to get better at because it's using those skills which is which will enable us to ask the right questions what what does our customer need what would our customer like to do what do they have how much do they have to spend how would they like to interact with this all those questions are fundamentally human questions but they're human questions that need help in 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 the process of dis- discovery so if you think think back 10 years to a, well not even 10 years five years or frankly there's some offices still working like this but if you have 50 members of staff and you moved office what did you do you have 50 desks 50 chairs 50 computers all in gray line them up and away you go that's a workplace 
because everyone's stuck at their desk doing, doing, doing that. But in this world where you've got to catalyze all these human skills in order to enable people to collaboratively and individually create great products and services, you need completely different types of space. Because in order to be creative, you need to be in the right environment. You have to be in a certain type of environment with a certain type of environmental quality of noise and temperature and light and design and color and oh, all, all, the, all these sorts of things. All these sort of things have a big impact on how we think and how we can work together. So you've got a fundamentally changing notion of what the workplace is is about. That the the bottom line is that to have a successful business in the future, you need all the machines and the technology to do the half of the tasks which are structured, repeatable, or predictable. And then you need the most highly skilled, most creative, most imaginative, most advanced in commerce humans, you've got to put them in the right places. And you've got to pay extreme cognizance to the fact that their environment is going to impact um, purely mercenarily um, on your on your bottom line. So it's in actually everyone's interest to create better spaces than, than we've been used to historically. And that fundamentally changes the whole industry. And that's where space as a service comes in. Um, and I remember you talking about um, the old work versus new work. You talked about that at GC in London recently, uh, which was really interesting. Um, uh, but it's interesting that uh, discussions around technology and the future of work, a lot of the time we think straight away of technology, robots, machines, taking over jobs. But actually, it's, it's all about people, isn't it? that really the future of our work is all about people and it's about enabling people, us, to be able to work better. Uh, that's um, it, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but how does technology fit into that? So in terms of emerging technologies in the workplace, such as virtual reality and AI, um, how will we begin to use those in the workplace in the future? Going, going, going back to what machines are good at, the structure of repeatable, predictable, if... If you do have something structured, repeatable, predictable, you would do better to automate it yourself as fast as possible. Mm -hmm. If you don't, someone else will. And besides that, there is no competitive advantage in, in not doing it. So mm -hmm. it feels a bit unnerving. And this is why you know, people, it's not so much that people don't like change, but people want change to be handled, handled well and need to understand why things are changing. Yes. But a lot of the reason you have to change is because it's going to happen anyway. So obviously we'll use technology to get rid of all the, all the things that we spend half our time doing that don't need to do before. Mm -hmm. But then what we also do, buildings, when, when people talk about smart buildings, they tend to, they tend to think about hardware and physical, physical attributes. Um, and they don't really think about uh, space and, and, and workplace and aesthetics and, and design and productivity and humans. The, the, in my mind, the whole notion of a smart building 
is a building that enables the humans within it to be as good as they can possibly be. The important bit, the important bit is understanding that this person, Anthony, during their time, during their hours in the office, spends 25% of their time in meetings of two to four people, 25% of their time doing quiet focus work, 25% of their time being rowdy and collaborative in, in larger groups, and 25% of their, their time doing, doing something else. Now, to enable that, the building needs to provide me with four different types of space, and those four different types of space need to be need to be designed and tuned. If you think about it in terms of optimizing space, mm-hmm. the, the the space around you needs to be tuned to the demands of what that person needs to do at the time. So first off, we need to understand how our buildings are working. So at a very granular level, what's the condition of that lighting? How's the air conditioning? What's the temperature? What's the noise? What's the air quality? That gives us a real understanding of our buildings and which meeting rooms are being used, etc. And then you need to know how your building is actually being used. So where do people go? Where do they not go? Where, where is high density? Where's low density? Does that change at time of day? Does that change over the, uh, the um the day of the week or, or the, or the month, month of the year. Now, so much of this at the moment is done on a hunch. So we need to understand how the buildings are being used, um, how the building is working. But then really importantly, we need to, within the real estate industry, start to understand our customers so much better. And this, this is where all of these things are moving up the, up the chain from the flex space world because flex space pays a lot more attention to this partly because it needs to because it's sort of built into the business model because we're in real estate we think companies need need an office because that's what we're selling but there's no company that ever thinks oh i want an office they're not in, that's not the job to be done what they want is a productive workforce mm-hmm. and it just happens to be that historically they've used a, used an office but it's not the office they want is a productive workforce. Now, to get a productive workforce, you have to understand what it is people do during the day so that you can provide them with um, the right the right spaces and the right environmental conditions. So that's, that's where you get this wonderful crossover between really some quite hardcore technology is going to be needed, yes. but a huge dollop of human human skills and capabilities and understanding. And we'll, we'll come to the human skills in a moment, but um, just um, what you mentioned a moment ago about, about flexible space and flexible space operators, um, the aim of this crossover w- with technology, um, it's, it's, it must take a lot of investment. So for those who are interested in implementing this type of technology um, and smarter buildings, how do you measure the return on that investment? I, th- I think ultimately the return is going to be measured in things like how many how many applicants do we get to our company? How what's the turnover? What's the number of sick days? Even social media buzz about working for us. Actually, actually it's really interesting. This is this is where real real estate needs to 
become less less of a silo and more integrated into um, it, its customer's business because a lot of the information you need to know whether whether all this work has um, got an ROI mm -hmm. will actually come out of HR departments because it will it will be in numbers like applicants for jobs, turnover, complaints, sick days, um, injuries at work. I mean, even, even to an extent, mental health. I mean, it, I, I find it shocking how much, um, how many stories we now hear about um, the percentage of people who have men mental health problems. Mm, now, yeah. whether that's real, real estate related or is certainly not totally real estate related, but I bet there is some there is some influence on the environments that people are in mm. that, that 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 causes this this sort of thing. So, yeah. one of the great opportunities of the of the flex mindset is actually to break real real estate out of out of these silos. So. The, in my mind, the, the, the really massive opportunity is if you start from the principle of forget about providing an office, what I'm going to sell you is a productive workforce. I'm not going to sell you space. I'm going to sell you a productive workforce. How are you going to do that? Well, I'm going to look after your real estate. I'm going to make it work and I'm going to understand you and I'm going to understand your people and I'm going to understand their wants, needs, and desires, and I am going to use this whole welter, this whole wealth of skills across six different domains to create a great user experience. And I will help you make your people as good as they can possibly be. Now, to, for these companies to make the most of their staff, their employees, or their contractors, or their suppliers, or those other various stakeholders, they do need the right type of space. And in this new world, creating, creating and curating a great user experience is really hard. And at the moment, there isn't really anyone who, or there's very few companies that can actually say, what we do is create, create a great workplace for you. Mm -hmm. But my feeling is that overall within real estate, Good companies are going to take less space, but they're going to pay considerably more for it. And they're going to be happy paying more for it because they're going to get a much, a much better product. And it's a, yeah. in my mind, it's a huge, it's a huge opportunity. Well, coming back to what we were talking about earlier with regards to um, human skills um, and the skills gap, um, there's, a, there's a lot of discussions around skills gaps at the moment. Um, but that, that, I mean, this is nothing new. This has been going on for quite some time and uh, concerns about keeping up with the development of new technologies at work. Um, so what do you think is the solution to, to skills gaps, be it digital skills um, or any other type of tech skills? Um, what do we need to do to equip the workforce with the right abilities for the future of work? The, the, most, the most important thing is to not get it's to not get stressed out or diverted by the idea that we must all be coders. What, what, we, do, what we do need is people need to understand the digital world in the sense of how, how does software, 
how does software work? How do, when people are developing software, how, how do they think in terms of developing, developing the, the product? For instance, if you, if you work in a, a tech company, one of the first things anyone says to you is look, look at this. And they show, point at a chart and it says, build, measure, learn, build, measure, learn, build, measure, learn. And the whole idea is you build something, you me- measure the outputs, you learn from that and you keep building it, which is why no, no software is ever finished. Now in the tech industry, the default is build, measure, learn, but in the real estate, the default is build. We tend to do, we just we build and then we don't measure, we don't learn. Um, but that's a, that apply that applies across across the board of 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 most things. Um, that there's a whole range of of general digital digital skills in terms of how to think, how to think of value propositions, how to think of things like jobs to be done, how to think of um, pains and and gains there's a there's a thing called the uh, the the value proposition canvas which is very very common in um in in tech companies now the 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 flip side of a lot of a lot of people not having those skills of course the the, the tech world they have all those skills what they don't have in the tech world is is their human skills are mostly pretty rubbish um you know, there's this terrible, terrible lack of lack of empathy and 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 awareness and critical thinking goes goes on goes on in the tech world. So we we need to breach these. We need to mix up mix up um, all our silos a, a lot more. We need we need to be thinking in terms of multifunctional teams mm-hmm. because what we're what we're doing now mm-hmm. is anything that you can sell has got to be unique in some way otherwise it'll just be commoditized how do you make something unique well you need multifunctional teams to 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 work on it you need marketing and operations and finance and all the different components of a company need to work together much more closely in order to create great services and that is that is part of the the, the the skills deficit that we that we don't do that we don't we don't think we're not actually surprisingly bad at being collaborative but there's you know the skill the skills thing is is so so important because because of where we started at the beginning of this conversation because the machines are going to automate anything that is structured repeatable mm-hmm. predictable and half of our time yeah. we are doing that so whoever you are you you, yeah. you need to develop your human skills because that's where we're going to have value going forward and that doesn't really make any difference whether i don't know you're a, a trainee lawyer or you're a you know a senior senior partner it's the mission but as i say we are in a lucky position that, as, as I said at the beginning, the machines are, are rubbish at what we're good at, but we need to be better at what we're what we're good, <laughs> what we're good at. And it doesn't just happen. Mm-hmm. You have you have to work you have to work at mm-hmm. it, and you have to be given the freedom to work, to work at it. Well, that's um, that's definitely food for thought, and that actually leads us nicely into my last question. Um, we, we've spent a lot of time talking about the future of work, but there's probably a lot that we can learn from the past too. Um, 
Or can we? Because I have a quote from your website which says the past is no longer much of a guide to the future. So I was just interested to learn your thoughts about this um, or to give us some examples of, of how past lessons can inform how we build the future. OK, yes, I did like that. <laughs> um, what <laughs> I meant by that is, is that we, we have a terrible habit of digitising the past in the sense of Mm-hmm. What happens far too often with technology in adoption is that you'll have a company that works in a certain way and then it has access to some new tools. So what it does is take the way it works now and just translate those in essentially into code as opposed to thinking, ah, oh, I have these new capabilities now, which mean we don't have to do things like that. We could do things in a in a different way using the using this technology. So there's partly an, a natural urge to to digitize the the past, which is which is dangerous. The 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 flex mindset that, that we've been thinking about, as I say, I think is going to be mm-hmm. is going to apply throughout throughout the office market. Certainly throughout the top mm-hmm. two quartiles of the of the office the top half of the office of office market so the way the way that we think about offices in the sense of oh well there's always been demand for x million square feet a year therefore there always will be in the future doesn't necessarily hold true or we've always managed to let those types of offices and then in, in the future you just might not be able to Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there, there's there's quite there's, there's quite a lot of that um, to think about. But in terms of being careful, being careful ab- ab- about the past is again going back to, to Jeff Bezos. He has a very interesting thing when someone asked him, "Well, what's things going to be like in ten years?" And he said, "And he said, well, don't think about what's going to change in the next ten years because you're not going to know." Um, you will. I, I'm. I, I'm in the camp of thinking. Well, you don't know within ten years. You actually do know what's going to happen over the next two or three years, but not ten years. But he says, don't think of what's going to change, but what's going to stay mm-hmm. the same. And so, in his case, okay. he says, well, customers are always going to want a great product, aren't they? Customers are always going to want great service, and customers are always going to want a great price, mm-hmm. and they're always going to want convenience. That. That stuff's not not going to change, and your customers are not going to change wanting good service, a good product. But the whole definition of what defines what does it mean, good service and a good product, those those are the things I think you really need to pay attention of, and always need to be thinking. Just because that works now, but would that will that work again in five years? And this is partly why keeping up with technology trends is really is really important because you start if you keep up with technology trends you have a better idea of what is changing quickly so yeah i think it, i think it's really really a case as i say of of focusing focusing on what doesn't change and that's essentially that we are human and we all fundamentally like purpose autonomy mastery but 
do not in any way rely on what you do now still being there in 10 years because the output might be but the way the way the way it's created absolutely might not be so we better get googling some training programs <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> okay well it's clear to me that the future of work isn't just about tech and machines and the workplace which is what i thought we would be focusing on at the start of our conversation, but actually it's it's all about people, very much about people and the work we do. And, and we're on the cusp of some massive changes in the nature of our work, um, which in turn will reflect on the workplace itself. So uh, that was a really fascinating whirlwind tour of the uh, the future of work. So thank you for that, Anthony. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Uh, we've thoroughly enjoy enjoyed having you on the podcast. Can you tell us how our listeners can find and connect with you online? Um, well, I'm obviously on, on LinkedIn and Anthony Slumbers or predominantly on Twitter. And my handle is at an Anthony Slumbers. Or there's my blog, which is at anthonyslumbers.com. Okay, wonderful. Thank you for that. Um, and that's all from me today. So thank you for listening to the Future of Work podcast. And if you want to hear more, head over to allwork.space to listen to more episodes and to subscribe to future recordings. Bye for now. If it's impacting the future of work, it's in the Future of Work podcast by allwork.space. Are you ready?